Would you take out your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. Eleven sixty four. Well, Paul has traveled a long way to share the gospel. Philippi, a city in Europe, is twelve hundred something miles from Jerusalem. That's a long way when there were no planes and cars. Continuing now in our series in Philippians, we're looking at the letter that Paul wrote from a jail, from a prison. Paul was a prisoner in Rome. And he writes to a beloved church, the church of Philippi. This is the word of God. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So far the reading from God's holy word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're here to worship you to rejoice in your presence, but we're also here, Lord, looking for you to teach us, to instruct us through your holy word as your spirit leads us into all truth, Lord. We pray that you touch this message and you touch this messenger. We want help in knowing what it is to preach the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of of your kingdom. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. The name of this message is simply the gospel. But what is it? What is the gospel? Another translation or the English translation for the gospel, euangelion, is good news. The gospel is good news. And Christ is in the very heart of the gospel. Even in this short portion of scripture that we read, six verses, you will see the word Christ being proclaimed four times in that section. And the gospel is powerful. In fact, if I were to press you and ask you to define the gospel, there may be many in here that would answer this way, that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. First for the Jews and then the Gentiles. And I can agree with you so far. Oh, it's powerful, all right. The gospel indeed is powerful, so powerful that it affects our salvation, the salvation of our souls. 
It is so powerful that even if the messengers who bring this good news, this gospel, are awry in their intentions and in their motives, it doesn't matter. The gospel, if it gets out, has the power to save. Even if pastors or those who are preaching it, even from a pulpit, may be rather selfish or ambitious. Um, They're in competition with other churches and what they're looking for are assets, attendance, buildings, and cash. Even if it isn't what they call an ABC church. Attendance, buildings, and cash. If that's what they're about, competition with other churches. But if the gospel goes out, if they're preaching the gospel, if the name of Jesus Christ gets out there in the right way, in terms of the words, the words, the gospel words have a power that doesn't depend on the messenger. And Paul rejoices in this. He says, I rejoice if the gospel is getting out. I have a friend that lives out east, one of my dearest friends, He was led to the Lord by somebody in college, where he was attending college. Not long after my friend received the gospel, believed on it, and became a new believer in Christ, the one that led him to Christ turned away from the faith completely because it didn't matter in terms of my friend. The gospel got to him, even though the messenger turned away from the very message he brought. In Iran, there are two ladies named uh, uh, Mariana and Marzia. And uh, they were in the news quite a bit uh, 10 years ago. These two ladies were Christians. They became Christians in college in a university in Iran. One of the uh, ladies came to know Christ because her sister one day came home from college and she had a tract in her hand. And the tract was titled, Isn't He Wonderful? Actually, it was called, His Name is Wonderful. It was a tract that was based on the book of Luke. This, the sister, who didn't even know Jesus Christ, had received this tract in the university where she was in, in Iran. And she was very interested in the tract, and so she gave it to her sister, Marcia. She asked her to read it, but said, don't read the last page. Just read about Jesus. This good Jesus who loves and heals. Well, the curious sister did read the last page, and it was a gospel invitation to receive Jesus Christ. And she prayed this prayer that was at the end of the track, became a believer, and then a powerful believer, and then met her friend in the college, Mariana. And the two of them recognized they both came to know Jesus Christ. Mariana had had a dream about Jesus. She had heard about Jesus, but she had a dream. I'm not going to go into the story, but she gave her life to Christ. Mariana and... Marcia became strong Christians in Iran. They worked out a way to get Bibles smuggled into their country. And before they were caught, they got out 20,000 Bibles among villagers in Iran. But the gospel went out from a sister that didn't even know the Lord. We have to be careful today when we think about the gospel... How do we define it? Power is not the definition. 
If there's somebody here today and they want to know what the gospel is, we wouldn't define it by saying that it is powerful and that it leads to salvation. You have to define it because they're going to ask, okay, that's great. It's powerful. And I, I want to be saved. But tell me, what's the gospel? What is this good news? First of all, I, I feel that we need to explain what the bad news is if we're going to understand the good news. What is the bad news? The bad news is that all of us, all humankind, is in bondage to sin. From the very beginning, from Adam and Eve, mankind fell into sin. We are sinners. We're defiled within our hearts. We're separated from our Creator, from our Father, because of sin. We have a barrier And we long to be in a right relationship with God, but we're defiled. We're dead in our sins and in our trespasses. And furthermore, we're condemned to die eternally apart from God. And that's only part of the bad news. The other part of the bad news is that we as sinners are part of this wicked age. We're part of it. We belong to it. This is our people this corrupt generation. And we have, because we're in sin, if we are sinners in sin, we have no citizenship in the kingdom of God. We have no purpose, no eternal purpose. We are without God and without future and without a hope in this wicked generation. Furthermore, what else makes it bad is that we are helpless. We are helpless sinners. So what's the good news? One, Jesus has come to save us from our sins. Two, Jesus has come to rescue us from this wicked and adulterous generation and bring us into his kingdom. And he's going to do it himself, this salvation. God is going to send his son, and Jesus is going to do what we are helpless to do on our own. And that is why we call the gospel the gospel of grace. God's gift to us, this eternal life that's in Jesus Christ, it's all of him. But we say, okay... He's going to save us. How does he do it? Someone may ask, how will he save me from my sin? It's this way. God, seeing our helplessness and seeing all of humanity, every single one of us is unrighteous and is in sin, God is going to send somebody who will stand for all humanity take on the sin of humanity, taste death for everyone in humanity, and this one is going to satisfy God's justice because what he said is those who sin will die. And one is going to be sent by God who can stand for everyone. A perfect substitute. A perfect sacrifice. Who is that sacrifice that God is going to send who can stand for all of us? It's his son, his one and only son whom he loves. The son of God will come among us and be a human being, take on human flesh 
and stand for us as the Son of Man. And He will go to the cross of Calvary and be nailed to the tree and there be rendered helpless for us who were helpless. And He will take on the sin of the entire world and He will take our sin into His own body and He will die on that tree satisfying God's wrath. And He will be buried into the earth, taking our sins with Him to the ground. And then the third day, God will show that He has accepted His Son's obedience, His Son's sacrifice on our behalf. How does He show His acceptance for what Jesus has done for us? He raises His Son from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit and then brings His Son back to His side to rule with Him forever. Jesus standing for us as our righteousness. God then moves our heart to believe that gospel story of what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. He moves our hearts to call upon Jesus, to trust in Him, to believe in Him, to believe, to cry out to Him, believing that what you have done, Jesus, for me has saved me. I am trusting what you have done, Jesus, Lord Jesus, and when we trust what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf through the cross and through the resurrection, God looks upon us. He sees us sinful human beings putting our trust in His Son who did it all for us, and He says, not guilty. Not guilty. Not guilty. Not guilty. Justified. You now stand in the right with me, God says, because you are trusting in what my Son has done for you. Furthermore, you're no longer defiled because the blood that my Son Jesus Christ shed on Calvary 2,000 years ago is cleansing your sin away. You know why we confessed this morning the Ten Commandments and then led that right into the assurance of pardon? Do you remember what the assurance of pardon says? That if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. His blood, it said a little bit earlier there in that passage in 1 John, His blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness. No longer defiled, and also then God, in that cleansed vessel of our body, this temple of our body, now can indwell. The Holy Spirit comes to live within the temple of our body, and we are restored to fellowship with the living God. We have union with Christ. His Spirit comes to live within us, and we're now restored to the relationship with God. And then God has given us the power now to live in a way that is right with Him. Not according to the old self, the old sin-filled self, that body of death, that body of flesh, but to live in accordance with the Holy Spirit as new creations in Christ. We have crossed over from death to life and we are loved. But how they might ask, was I saved from this evil age? How is it that I'm no longer part or belong to this crooked and twisted generation? Is how Paul called it in Philippians chapter 2, verse 15. Crooked, twisted generation. 
How is it that I'm not under the authority of the old rulers of Satan under his grip? It's because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We talked about the gospel of grace. We've seen now that Jesus is in the heart of this beautiful gospel that saves you from your sin. But that same gospel of Jesus Christ, here's what happens. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, when you trust him to save you from your sin, you are united with Jesus Christ. In a wonderful, mysterious way, he took you with him to death. You died with Jesus. And then in that wonderful, mysterious way, by the power of God, you were united with him in his resurrection. You've been raised to newness of life, a new life. And in that new life, you have been transferred from citizenship in, from this broken world, and he has delivered you, he has rescued you from that old citizenship and brought you into his own kingdom, the kingdom of God's beloved son, the kingdom of light. You are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Colossians puts it that way. We have been rescued from the domain of darkness and been transferred into the kingdom of of God's beloved Son. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Saving you from your sins is what Jesus does, and saving you from this wicked generation is what Jesus does, and transfers you to a new kingdom. You're kingdom people now. You're kingdom people. You are a new community. You're the church. The church is a new community, a kingdom community. This is the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of God's grace. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus is the Lord of that kingdom. And if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then Jesus Christ gave us a kingdom prayer. We prayed it this morning. As kingdom people, we have a prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a kingdom prayer. And you are kingdom people. And you will suffer. And you will suffer for it. There's no escape. If you are true to God, true to Christ, you will suffer for this gospel as you proclaim it even as Paul did, and suffer from your own family. Because you, as a new believer in Jesus Christ, are going to come across offensive when you share Christ with unbelieving family members because they're going to think that you think that you are better than them and that you are judging them. And they will find you offensive. They will find you offensive when you don't participate in many of the ungodly things that they do because they are citizens of this age. You're a kingdom person now. You operate by different rules, a different ethic. You'll suffer from Muslims when you say that Jesus is the only way. You'll suffer from religious groups. You'll suffer from the government when you stand and you worship because you're obedient to a higher government, a higher citizenship, a higher king, a greater Lord. You're being obedient to him. You're going to suffer from the secular humanists 
who say that we as human beings don't need a God. We can do all of this. We'll make the rules. We'll tell you what's healthy and what's not healthy. We'll tell you what lifestyles you're supposed to accept and not accept. And when you stand against that for the sake of Christ, walking in a way that's worthy of the gospel of Christ, you will suffer for it. You will suffer because Satan is the one that is in control of this wicked and corrupt, twisted generation. Paul is not suffering in this prison because he's a nice guy. And he's been doing nice things. He was healing quite a few people. He's gone to prison in Philippi. He's been beaten because of his testimony of Jesus Christ being Lord. He's going to get killed in two years after writing this letter, three years at the most. Why? Caesar is going to have him killed. Because Paul, as he's proclaiming the gospel that saves from sin, is also proclaiming that this same Savior is the Lord. And Caesar has no place for another Lord in the realm. And that's why it's said above Jesus on the cross, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. This is what Rome does to kings, to rival kings. And when you keep living and showing that Jesus Christ is your Lord, your ultimate authority, you're going to suffer. And we're going to suffer. The Apostle Paul wrote this in Philippians 129. You could turn there if you want to. You can read it together. You want to know what, a, what part of the, the gift of grace that you have? You know what's been granted to you by God? Read this. Verse number 29. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Beacon Light, are you ready to suffer for the sake of Christ and the gospel? He's writing to Philippi. The reason Paul's writing to them is to encourage them to stand because they're going to suffer just like he suffers. He's in Rome. They're in Philippi, and it's a Roman colony. And if you're going to start standing and proclaiming that Jesus Christ is the Savior, he's the one that's the Prince of Peace. He's the one that ultimately brings peace to the world, not Caesar, who wants to bring the peace of Rome. He's the one to be worshipped, not Caesar, who's demanding worship. He's the Lord. Caesar means king. It means Lord. And Jesus is being declared by those who are faithful to proclaim the gospel, Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And the Philippians are going to suffer. But suffering advances the gospel. The gospel flourishes in adversity. Did you notice how strange this is? Did it ever occur to you to ask the question as you read this? Look at verse number 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident, that word confident is probably a weak word. The Greek word there is better translated daring. Having become who would dare in the Lord by my imprisonment. They've become daring, are much more bold 
to speak the word without fear. How can that be? When you look at that, you say, okay, you're seeing where Paul is at. He's in prison because of Christ. And, and you're aware of trouble all around you as a Christian. Nero's going to go crazy in two years. Killing Christians. You're going to be more bold to be out there in public talking about Jesus Christ? But he's, he's saying they're daring to do this. They're getting more courageous without fear. And they're bold. How can that be? I want to say the reason that Others that are acquainted with Paul who know Jesus Christ would be daring, without fear, courageous. It's because of Paul's love and his courage. Paul has an incredible love for Jesus Christ. What's more important is that Paul knows that he's loved by Christ. Paul says this, The life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. Who loved me. He loved me. Jesus and he gave himself for me. Take that in today, would you? As you see the cross behind me, and as we're approaching Easter in this Lenten season, would you take that in again, no matter how many times you've heard it? Jesus, you love me. You love me. And you died for me. To give me this life that I have, this hope that I have. Paul has this. He says, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. And he has a love for the Philippians when he writes to them. He loves them. He's telling them, you're going to suffer, but I love you. But follow my example, he's going to tell them. Imitate me. And he loves these people that are around him here in Rome. These people that are seeing Paul day after day, they're looking at him. This man who was so full of love, and he's full of courage too. Why is Paul courageous? Because he knows what the gospel accomplishes. He knows what it's going to accomplish for those that he's going to share it with. He knows that it's going to accomplish their salvation. It's effective for their salvation. And here's why he's also courageous. Because he knows where he's going. This gospel that saves souls, that advances the kingdom of God, brings glory to God, is also the gospel that assures Paul of where he's going. We're talking about Dorothy and, and Elton this morning. Paul knows where he's going. He knows that to live is Christ, but to die is great gain. He would rather depart. He's not worried about dying. He would rather depart anyway and go and be with the Lord is what he said. But it's more necessary for me to remain, and so I will. But to live is Christ and to die is great gain. And that's contagious. When I came to know Christ, I was 27 years old. You guys have heard stories so many times, don't need to hear it again. But while I was in that martial arts setting, I watched what happened when Mr. Young began to share Christ at the end of every one of those martial art classes. The class began to disintegrate. It began to disappear. And then there was a season there, a short season, where there were just a handful of people coming to that class because Mr. Young, at the end of every one of those classes, was sharing Christ and sharing the gospel. That's how he concluded every one of his classes. And he had a moment of crisis, Mr. Young did. Was he doing what's wrong? Should a martial artist tie in Jesus Christ with martial arts? 
I was there when he had that time of crisis where he asked that question to me because I was one of the few that was still there. Mr. Young says, uh, John, am I doing wrong sharing the gospel in this martial art class? So, Mr. Young, if you hadn't shared the gospel in this class, I wouldn't be standing here today as a Christian. Here's what else I said to Mr. Young. Mr. Young, you always are talking about Jesus. No matter what you go through, you're always talking about Christ and the cross and encouraging us to walk a life that's faithful and worthy of this salvation that we have. And I've watched you still doing this when the class is disappearing. And he continued to preach, share the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the class slowly built back up again over time. And Mr. Young loved us. Our teacher loved us, those students that were there. And that was contagious. That was contagious. Mariana and Marcia, the two Iranian girls, they got caught. They started a little church in Iran for the homeless and for the prostitutes, and they got caught. 2009, they went to jail. For 14 days, they had to stay in a cell that was dark, cold, rags on the floor that smelled like urine because there were were no places to relieve yourself. They hugged each other, often thinking that this was it, this might be their last day together. But they also got opportunities to talk to homeless women and prostitutes, which is what they were doing out on the streets too. But now they were doing it unhindered. And prostitutes and homeless people were coming to know Jesus Christ because of their witness. Mariana and Marcia stopped praying for their own release. They prayed that more people would come to know Jesus Christ. After 14 days of being there, the prisoners transferred her, or the uh, prison guards transferred her to a, a notorious prison in Iran called Evan, Evan Prison. And it was there that they were for a year. Day after day, they would hear the voices and the sounds of people being tortured. It was a place for intellectuals and for political prisoners. Mariana, Marcia were very intelligent. But the prisoners couldn't break these girls. They kept saying, we've tasted of the love of Christ. He loves us, and we couldn't deny him. They considered it an honor to suffer for him is what they said. The guards saw that. Sometimes guards would come and they would ask for prayer requests. They would give a prayer request to Mariana and Marcia. Letters were being sent from the international community because the, the prisoners were known all over the world now. This was an international issue now among the Christian community and letters were being sent to this prison, sent to Iran. 40, 50 letters would come a day to that prison. They never read a single one of them. They weren't allowed to. But the guards did, and the judges did. And they were being touched by what they saw. Guard would come and ask a strange question to Mariana and Marcia. This Jesus, what does it mean that he's a shepherd? And they would explain <laughs> who the good shepherd was. After a year, they were released. 
but the gospel advanced powerfully while they were in prison. Back to Paul. Do you remember how we began? He said this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard, the praetorian guard, the elite guard that guards Caesar himself and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Would you turn to the end of Philippians as we close this message? Would you look at the very last two verses of Philippians? Here's what Paul wants them to know. This is no accident that he's stating it exactly this way to the Philippians who are under the oppression of a Roman colony. All the saints greet you, he's writing to the Philippians, All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Do you see? This gospel is powerful. Two hundred and fifty years later, there's going to be a Caesar by the name of Constantine, and he's going to declare Christianity to be the empire wide religion. This is the gospel of God's grace. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel of the kingdom, and it is powerful. This is what Paul has been preaching for two years at his own expense without fail. The gospel of the kingdom and the lordship of Jesus Christ. Can I ask you today, saints in the Lord, where has God strategically placed you? Let's pray. Cut away, Lord God Almighty, the deadness of our skin, the skin that envelops our soul, the callus that's around our soul that makes us dull to what you've accomplished for us in Christ Jesus, this beautiful life we have in Jesus. Cut away our desensitivity to all your goodness to us. Quicken in us also, Lord, our compassion for the people who have not yet received the good news that we receive, the gospel. Oh God, I am no different than anyone else here, so I'm just praying on behalf of us all right now, Father. I'm asking that all of us, Lord, Lord, would be moved by your spirit to have more compassion, more trust in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to effect salvation, Lord, and that we would be more faithful, faithful to get the gospel out to others. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.